Our Lord, we recognise that you alone are the giver and the beholder of wisdom and might, as we read. Lord Jesus, we recognise that all that is actually found in you personally. And so as we consider this word, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in it. Uh, that we might see you as the one who has everything we truly need and receive it from you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing a series through the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is a very old book. Uh, it's set uh, about 600 BC, so around 2,600 years ago. And it's a very uh, interesting text because it has a lot of parallels Uh, in the time then, as it does now, you might say, how does that work? 2,600 years ago, a little bit similar to today. Well, particularly for God's people, we see that they were living in a a place which they were under the rule of a different king. They were around people who didn't believe what they believed. They had a totally different system of belief uh, to the people in the culture that that they were in. And so God's people were troubled by this, and so the book of Daniel was written to encourage them, to show them they can, that God's people can live in a culture that perhaps even opposes their God, maybe has a completely different way of thinking about God, and they can live and flourish and be a blessing to others and actually testify to the goodness and greatness of God in the midst. And right here in Daniel chapter 2, we're sort of, half, we're sort of partway through, and we see that... Uh, at the beginning of the chapter, this great king, Nebuchadnezzar, who's a, the greatest king the world had probably ever seen at that time. Uh, he's the head of a great superpower, the, the uh, nation of Babylon, which rules all the surrounding nations, sort of in modern-day Iran uh, and Iraq, that sort of area. And uh, this great king has a dream which utterly tru- troubles him, utterly troubles him, and he has no one that can... Uh, work it out, work out what this dream means. None of his sort of key people, none of his astrologers, magicians, enchanters, which we hear the list in our Bible reading, none of them can work out what, what this dream is. And the king himself was a bit sceptical that his chief wise people have been ripping him off for some time. They're corrupt, he thinks. And so we see that one person seems to have the faith to ask God himself for the answer and that person is Daniel. And in the act of asking, um, we are privy to uh, the attitude that they had towards God. We're privy to some of Daniel's prayer here. And we're privy to how uh, Daniel responded afterwards. We actually, in this text, we get a really good model for prayer for us. A really good model for prayer for us. And so that's what we're going to have a look at this morning. A model for prayer out of Daniel chapter 2. Uh, so, and we'll look at th- three parts to that as well. The first part we're going to look at is the prayer itself. So what is in the prayer itself that is so remarkable that we might learn from it? What is the model of prayer that we see in the text? Uh, secondly, we're going to have a look at well, who is this God that Daniel prays to? So we'll look at the prayer itself, but then we'll look at the person that the prayer is directed to. And finally, we will look at the fruit the fruit that comes out of that prayer or the empowerment of, that God gives us to our prayers as a result. So the prayer itself, 
the God whom we pray to and the empowerment that comes from God to pray towards him. Okay, the prayer itself. Now, if you have a look in the text, uh, and particularly in verse 18, uh, we know that Daniel has come back to his three friends. He's been warned that this great king, Nebuchadnezzar, has had this dream, and he doesn't trust his advisors, to whom which Daniel and his three friends are part of his advisory group. And so the king is actually willing to destroy and kill them all. And so, of course, Daniel fears for his life and for his friends, and for the life of his co-workers. And so he then goes to his friends and say, says, we need to pray. But I want you to look at how did they go to pray? What was the attitude they had towards God? And it says this, uh, it says, uh, verse 18, And Daniel told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven. To seek mercy from the God of heaven. He doesn't like the enchanters, like the sorcerers, uh, like the magicians, do some special spell or have some kind of incantation or some particular ceremony to get God to listen to them or the heavens to answer him. No, what do they do? They seek mercy. They realise that they have no power over God, but God has power over them. So they put themselves in a humble position Therefore, seeking mercy from God because they know that unless their true, one true God answers them, they will surely perish. So there's a humility in them seeking mercy. That's the first thing we see about the prayer. The second thing we see about the prayer is that they pray for their own sake and for the sake of others. So see this in the second part of verse 18. It says, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, Daniel was an exile, we must remember. He was someone who, as a young man with his three friends, were taken from their homeland in Jerusalem, and that was sort of conquered by this king Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken from their homeland and transported very far away to the land of Babylon, to the capital city, and they were being indoctrinated and trained by the best in that culture to become advisors to the king. So you can imagine that Daniel firstly didn't believe in the gods that uh, the Babylonians did. Daniel had been kidnapped by the Babylonians and probably didn't like them very much or perhaps shouldn't have liked them very much, ordinarily wouldn't have liked them very much. And yet it seems that he cares even about their welfare. Not just his own skin, but he cares for the sake of others. Daniel quite easily could have thrown the rest of them under the bus and said, well, you can kill the rest of them, but not us, because we have the God with the answers. But notice Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel's prayer is for his sake and for the sake of others. Now, this is an important aspect to prayer because often our prayers are selfishly motivated. Are they not? We don't really think about others. And if you're a religious or a Christian person here this morning, your prayers might be in a couple of categories. You might think of just the Christian people, the people like you, the people with the same beliefs and ideas about the world as you, and then of the others, what a past generation might have called the heathen. We don't use that word very much anymore. But you might have those two categories in your mind and not really think too much about everyone else because 
you're under enough pressure yourself. And yet we see in Daniel and his friends that they care about others too. This well reflects the heart of God. Uh, we read this in Ezekiel 33, 11. It says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked may turn from his way and live. So actually Daniel's heart, when it comes to prayer, reflects God's heart. God doesn't want people to die. God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, though he knows that they deserve it. God loves all of humanity and so ought we, and it should be reflected in our prayers. So I've learnt that a humble attitude through seeking mercy is a key part to prayer. We've learnt to pray not just for our own sake, but also for the sake of others. But one of the, the third thing that this prayer teaches us, and this is plain and simple, but it needs to be pointed out again, that Daniel and his friends were seeking something that they themselves lacked, that no one else had. You know, the whole kingdom had been sought for an answer. No one could give an answer. And so clearly only God has the answer. Only God has the answer. Uh, we see this a little bit later in the text. Uh, it says, verse 20, To whom, speaking of God, belong wisdom and might. That is, only God has true wisdom and might in this universe. His might and his wisdom is above every other wisdom. He has no competitor when it comes to him knowing things. Well, we read similar things in the book of Proverbs. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to find wisdom, you need to get to know God. Similarly, we learn in the book of Zechariah, again, another prophet. These are all in a similar place in the Bible. It says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Again, a reminder that there might be worldly might. There might be worldly power. There might be military power or authority in the world. And yet when it really comes down to it, God by his spirit is the true source of power or might. And knowing him, as it turns out, is the way to access it. So this prayer, this prayer is an act of humility. This prayer is praying not just for their own sake, but for the sake of others. It's reflecting God's heart. And this prayer is coming to God, recognizing that he alone has what you're looking for. He alone has what you're looking for. I want you to notice one more aspect about the prayer in Daniel chapter 2. And that is, God does something in response to the prayer before Daniel goes to the king. In fact, it would seem that the battle itself is won through the prayer, not in Daniel's actions afterwards. Do you notice that? God is doing something in the prayer time, which... Literally, is people stopping, not doing anything, just conversing with God. That's where the action happens. Then in response, all these things happen afterwards. And so the fourth thing that we learn is the battle is prayer. It is prayer. It's not Daniel going out and speaking afterwards. No, the battle is won in the prayer time with the living God. 
This is well reflected in the Bible again uh, from the book of Ephesians, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we did not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So prayer is a way of accessing the power of God, and it's where the battles are truly fought in this world. We think they're fought physically, but no, first, spiritually, that is where the battle is going on. And if you want to be a part of it, you need to be a person who prays. There's much to learn here about prayer. Uh, A great example of this is, uh, some of you will know the... A famous missionary who went to China, who founded the China Inland Mission. His name was Hudson Taylor. Uh, Some of you will know how he got converted. Well, this is uh, the story in Hudson Taylor's own words. He says, Little did I know at the time what was going on in the heart of my dear mother, 70 or 80 miles away. So uh, this is coming that uh, Hudson Taylor's mother had gone away for a trip and she'd been praying and Hudson was at home. She rose from the dinner table that afternoon with an intense yearning for the conversion of her boy and feeling that, absent from home and having more leisure than she could otherwise secure, a special opportunity was afforded her of pleading with God on my behalf. She went to her room and turned the key in the door and resolved not to leave that spot until her prayers were answered. Hour after hour did that dear mother plead for me until at length she could pray no longer, but was constrained to praise God for that which his spirit taught her and had already been accomplished, the conversion of her only son. When our dear mother came home a fortnight later, I was first to meet her at the door and to tell her I had such glad news to give. I can almost feel that dear mother's arms around my neck as she pressed me to her bosom and said, I know my boy, I've been rejoicing for a fortnight in the glad tidings you have to tell me. Why? I asked in surprise. Has Amelia broken her promise? She said she would tell no one. My dear mother assured me that it was not from any human source that she had learned the tidings and went on to tell the little incident mentioned above. You will agree with me that it would be strange indeed if I were not a believer in the power of prayer. What happened to Hudson Taylor happened through prayer, the prayer of his mother. It was a different sort of prayer, but it was prayer nonetheless. Where did the battle fight? In prayer. Where was the battle won? In prayer. So there's much to learn from Daniel chapter 2 about prayer. But secondly, we need to look at the God who is prayed to. It's one thing to know how to pray, like the mechanics of it, or the attitude that we ought to have, but it's another to know the God to whom we're praying. What do we learn about this God? We learn that wisdom and might belong to him, but he is willing to share it with his people. Isn't that amazing? Wisdom and might belong to him, and yet he is willing to share it with his people. He's willing to give it. Have a look at these, uh, like what he does to his people. Look at this in verses 21 and 22. It says, He changes, he removes, he gives, he reveals, 
He knows. What does God do? He gives of himself to others. He shares what he has. So not only do we come to God asking for things, but he's willing to give them to us. He's willing to share his wisdom and might with us. Isn't that incredible? So just a short bit of application just while we're here. The kind of prayer that we see in Daniel does really three things for us. Firstly, it deepens our relationship with God. Notice in Daniel's prayer, uh, in response to God answering the dream, answering him with a dream, and giving the answer to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, in verse 23, Daniel says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. Notice this is the first time that uh, a prayer is given verbatim in the, in the book of Daniel. And the way that Daniel speaks is as to a father. He has a close personal relationship with God. Notice that as he prays, he is brought closer to God. The distance is crossed. His relationship is much nearer than it was before. It is no longer for him just gaining spiritual knowledge for himself, but rather it is knowing God and he's extending that knowledge for the gain of others. So if you are willing to pray, your relationship with God will grow. Your closeness to him will grow. I want you to notice something else, uh, and a point of application for us, is that the prayer that Daniel gives is filled with praise to God. It's not just pleading, do things for me. It's filled with praise for him, for who he is. That's the highest result of the Christian life is to actually be in praise and worship of our God. There's many things we won't do in heaven that we do on earth, but there is one thing we will continue to do, and that is to praise the living God. So we better get some practice in now. The third thing just off the bat that we learn is that God is willing to equip us with wisdom and might but he's not necessarily going to change our circumstances. God is willing to equip us with his wisdom and might, but he is not necessarily going to change our circumstances. Notice that actually God doesn't like change Nebuchadnezzar's heart at that time. No, he empowers Daniel to do something about it. He enables Daniel and his friends to go out with boldness, with the answer. Do you think that God's answer won't come through changing you personally before he might change your circumstances? We see a really important order here in our text. It seems that Daniel is changed and he is the agent that God will use in order to change the circumstances. Daniel, of course, doesn't know what's going to happen. He might well die when he goes to tell the king. What he knows. The king might get angry with him because the news in the dream is perhaps not that good. And yet Daniel himself is a changed man as a result. And so in this God whom they pray to does something in the praying to those who would reach out to him. So who is this God that we pray to? Who is this God? Well, 
The New Testament reveals to us that Jesus Christ personally is the wisdom and might of God. What Daniel had revealed to him in a vision of the night, we get in person, in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, The book of Colossians tells us this, and it's sort of partway through uh, an argument in that text, but let me just read it out in full. It says, That their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, listen to this, which is Christ, in whom, as in in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what God is willing to give, you know, of his own storehouse of wisdom and might, of his own character, he gives to us in the person of Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh. So God is increasing his intensity of desire for us to know his wisdom and might by sharing them with us in himself. Jesus revealed as the God-man to us. This is more than Daniel had. Sometimes we look at the book of Daniel or in uh, these great uh, historical records of these people who had great wisdom and had great relationships with God, but they did not have the closeness that we have because of the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that they longed for something like this. They longed that the Messiah would come, and yet he has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and he shares himself with us. So the God who is prayed to is wisdom and might incarnate. He has come, and his name is Jesus. And so to access this wisdom and might, God sent his son not just to come in the flesh, but to die. You see, the cross is the way that God's wisdom and might would become accessible to us. I want you to notice something. In the book of Daniel, it seems that Daniel has this love for his enemy that he shouldn't have, all things being equal, but he does have because it's reflecting the God who loves those who do not love him. And this love for the enemy even leads Daniel to pray on their behalf. But I want you to notice that where Daniel didn't die in this text for the sake of others, Jesus did die for the sake of his enemies. And he did it for the same reason. He did it out of love. This same heart that God has that wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth, that doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn. This same God is willing to die for the sake of those people. Because the penalty for sin is death. The result of a life apart from God is death. I was thinking about this this week as I was reading uh, through the prophet Isaiah. And it just, there's a short story about being thirsty and hungry uh, in the book of Isaiah. And I thought, well, what is the natural result of being thirsty and hungry? If you continue to thirst and you continue to hunger, you will die physically. But if you continue to thirst and you continue to hunger spiritually without God to meet your needs, you will die spiritually. The end is the same. And yet this 
God, the God who is spoken of in the book of Daniel, the God whom they pray to, the God whom is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, is the God who meets us in our spiritual hunger and thirst and satisfies us on the inside. And it is this God who, through his cross, makes the way accessible that we might come to him. That when we pray, we know whom we pray to. We pray because of Jesus. We pray, as Jesus taught us, in his name. So that we know we have access, though we might be sinners. There, of course, is a problem uh, when it comes to prayer. And the problem is this, that there's two ways to pray because there's a God that you might know of and there's a God that you need to know in order to get access to God. There's two ways to pray. And this is revealed to us uh, in the book of Luke in chapter 18 when Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Both men come to the temple to pray. The Pharisee comes to pray and he tells God how good he is. And how bad everyone else is. And so that God must accept him because of how good he is. So the Pharisee comes to pray on his own behalf. And God should owe him because he's such a good person to answer his prayers. This sort of person is going to God that they know of but don't know personally. This sort of person is going to God with prayer and saying, God, you must answer my prayers because I say them to you. Because I've done a few good things over my life. I haven't been that bad a person and I'm certainly not as bad as this tax collector. This is truly saying your prayers. But you know what? God does not listen to that kind of prayer because you're going in your own name. And God doesn't look at you with the rose-coloured glasses that you might look at yourself. God looks at you knowing all that you are and that you are not worthy of him. And so that kind of prayer is not accepted by God. But there is another kind of prayer, and it's the same in the same temple that Jesus is speaking this parable about, and he tells us of a tax collector. And it says this tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to consider God, but beat his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so it is this tax collector that does not come in his own name, but just pleads the mercy of God. Pleads the mercy of God that is accepted by God. Why? Because he came to God with nothing. And he says, God have mercy. And Jesus would say, yes, I will have mercy. Because Jesus would go to the cross for someone who asks for it. And so whilst we can pray... And we can know of the God to whom we pray. We must come in the name of Jesus, not on our own righteousness, but on the basis of who Jesus is in order to access this God. So we've looked at the prayer. We've looked at the God whom we pray to. And finally, we now look to the empowerment of God to our prayers. What can God do if he gets a hold of your prayer life? What's the, what is the sort of thing that God will do if he gets a hold of your prayer life? Well, there's three things, three applications for us. The first application is God can overcome your hesitation so that you will just ask him. The Bible tells us in the book of James that if we, we do not have because we do not ask. It's pretty simple. 
And yet in the book of Daniel, we find people who are both desperate and bold before God. They're desperate because they're going to die and they know that only God has the answer. And yet they're bold because they're willing to speak to the God of heaven. The only God who has, to whom belongs wisdom and might. God can overcome our hesitation to bring us just to ask. Did you know there's a parallel desperation and boldness in the Bible that gives us this same kind of access to God that Daniel and his friends were after? And it's in a garden in the New Testament. It's called Gethsemane. And it's a place where Jesus, sweating with almost drops of blood, because he knew that the cross was coming for him, asked God, is there another way to save these people apart from my death? And yet he submitted to the will of the Father, saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus went with desperation and yet boldness to the throne of God. And it is through Jesus breaking open that place of access that we too can come to God with our requests. That it is no longer something that we fear because we know that Christ has gone there for us. He's willing, he was willing to go to the uttermost lengths for us to open the door that we might be able to pray to him. Sometimes we're hesitant to pray because we just don't think God cares. Sometimes we're hesitant to pray because we think we're not good enough that he would answer our prayers. And yet the encouragement of the scriptures and the work of Christ is to just ask, just come to him. He is a good and loving father who gives good gifts to his children. And so we may come with desperation and boldness to our God because of who he is. Second empowerment uh, that we gives is to pray his kingdom into our lives, not just for our problems to go away. Once you notice that Daniel had personal problems, He's, he was about to get killed. And yet he prayed that God's kingdom would come. You see, he didn't just try to escape and throw the others under the bus, though they may have well deserved it. But he did love them. He even loved Nebuchadnezzar. It seems they became friends at a later date, this brutal tyrant. It seems he loved his co-workers. It seems that he loved these people and he certainly loved his God. But Daniel was willing to stand between those who were about to be killed and the one who was willing to kill them. He was willing to stand in the gap to save them. And again, this is the work of Christ for us. Jesus is willing to stand in the gap for us between our sins, which will destroy us, and between the God of justice, who will punish sin. And Jesus will stand in the gap and take it for us. You see, Jesus did not just pray for his problems to go away, but he prayed that God's kingdom would work out through them. And so similarly, for you and I, it is perhaps God's purpose to use your problems, the difficulties that you face today, to produce his kingdom in your life. You know how Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done? 
How do we know that he's faithful to that? Because Jesus prayed the same prayer, did he not, in the garden, that same garden of Gethsemane. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And so God may well be working through your difficulty in order to bring out his great kingdom purpose. Lastly, the empowerment of God to our prayers comes through humbly seeking God's glory and not ours. Notice after when Daniel went to the king, he would have had many opportunities to say, I've got the answer, I've got it. Even when he's pressured by the king to say, are you able to make me know the dream and that I've seen and its interpretation in verse 26? Daniel says, no one can do it. Not even I can do it. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals mystery and he has made it known. Notice that Daniel, even when has the greatest opportunity to glorify himself, what does he do? He points to God. He says, there's no one that can do it but God alone. This is a wonderful example of both humility and a desire to honour God. A wonderful example of those two things together. Did you know that this is actually the probably the greatest combination that you might have when it comes to prayer? If you want to have a powerful prayer that might actually be answered, if you want to have a powerful prayer that might actually impact the lives of other people, if you want to have a powerful prayer that might change a very generation, then you need both humility and a desire to honour God alone. Notice that humility alone is not enough. You can't just be a humble person because you won't have the boldness to approach the throne of grace. Humility alone without a heart to glorify God probably turns us into depressed people who aren't willing to ask great things of God, maybe even into cowards. But humility with a heart for God's glory is something that transforms us from the inside. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We should notice that God has this unique way of turning our weaknesses and our lacks into his power bank in our lives because if it is then that we are humbled by our weaknesses, but we turn to the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, then he gives us an overflow of power in our lives. And that is where we see things like what Daniel does. That's where we see people like Paul who are afflicted by many things. And it seems to have this amazing presence and power through his life and ministry. I've got a last example of how God will work in prayer. I've uh, been reading a book, rereading a book actually recently called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And uh, this is, uh, the book is about a pastor, his name's Jim Simbola and his wife Carol and how they uh, sort of planted a church in, uh, called the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And uh, one part of the book, uh, the author describes how he went through the darkest two and a half year tunnel they could have ever imagined. Uh, their 16-year-old daughter, Chrissy, ran away. So Jim speaks of the struggle that he went through. He said, As a 
situation grew more and more serious. I tried everything. I begged, I pleaded, I scolded, I argued, I tried to control her with money. Looking back, I recognised the foolishness of my actions. Nothing worked. She was just hardened more and more. Her boyfriend was everything we did not want for her child. So here they are, successful in this ministry, in this church in Brooklyn, and yet their daughter had run away. Over the same time, a Carol Simbola needed a hysterectomy and was so filled with fear after the surgery that she was prepared herself to run away from the city and the ministry that God had called them to. Uh, then uh, Jim felt God speak to him. Once again, as back in 1972, there came a divine showdown. God strongly impressed me to stop crying, screaming or talking to anyone else about Chrissy. I was to converse with no one but God. In fact, I knew I should have no further contact with Chrissy until God acted. I was just to believe and obey what I preach so often. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. Keeping to his word, Jim uh, stopped talking to other people about Chrissy but continued to pray. And it was at one church prayer meeting that Jim received a note. And the note said this, Pastor Simbler, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. Jim describes the next minutes as listening to a labour room in a hospital. The church had gone to war for Chrissy. That night, Jim felt a flood of relief and confidence that their prayer had been answered before they saw it. Less than three days later, there was a knock at the door of Jim and Carol's house. Chrissy was home. Amidst the bare grip hugs and weeping, Chrissy said, Who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? Her voice was like that of a cross-examining attorney. What do you mean, Chrissy? On Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? I didn't say anything, so she continued. In the middle of the night, God woke me and showed me I was heading toward this abyss. There was no bottom to it. It scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard I've been, how wrong, how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any farther as he said, I still love you. Daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me on Tuesday night? I looked into her bloodshot eyes and once again I recognised the daughter we had raised. And so it is then. The prayer that we see in Daniel is a prayer that we can have today and it is in prayer that this battle for the work of God in our lives is one to this living God who gives us access through Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, we recognise, Lord, that we speak to you, the living God, to whom alone belong wisdom and might. Lord, we want to pray these kinds of prayers. We want to be people who are changed, Lord Jesus, by the access that you have given us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do something to this church to make us a people who really pray who really see you work in our time and generation, that you would grow our meetings like our prayer meetings, where we would come before you and just petition you, the living God, to work in our time and generation. Lord, we don't have anything apart from you, and yet you have everything that we need. And so, Lord, we ask that you might change us, that you would work through us, and we commit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.